Tonight's narrative is made possible by viewers like you and Hover.com, an easy way to find and register a domain name. Use promo code REACH to get 10% off. Welcome to Narrative Live. Eric Garland is with us tonight. We have a big show tonight. We're going to talk a lot about the latest scandal in the Supreme Court. It's not being covered very much by the mainstream media, and we have to ask why. I mean, this is the third major scandal in just a few weeks that has shown up in the Supreme Court. This time it involves the Hobby Lobby case and Justice Alito. We'll get into the details. But as you discovered, Sheldon Whitehouse has done an incredible job of bringing that story to the Senate floor. And we'll play a lot of, that of his presentation about the scheme, as he calls it, to corrupt the Supreme Court by the right-wing extremists. We also have a lot of breaking news. And also, we should say, there's also the secret life of Elon Musk, in which we'll talk about his degrees, his university degrees, and whether he actually got the ones he says he has, and doesn't matter that he lied about his degrees. So all of that potentially coming up in the next hour. Let's kick off with the breaking news of the day, which is just come out of, I think it's the 11th Circuit, has ruled that the special master in the Mar-a-Lago documents case is not a valid thing. They've reversed the whole thing. So Donald Trump, who had been relying quite extensively on this notion of having a special master go through all these documents, which he had secretly held and stolen really from the US government at Mar-a-Lago, his resort in Florida, he'd relied on the special master as being a way to slay the whole sequence of the law. And it seems like he's not going to get to do that any longer. The 11th Circuit has killed that as an option for him. So Judge Aline Cannon, who was just a district judge, it was determined that she did not have a jurisdiction over the matter to begin with. And um, she was appointed by him. Circuit. That's right. And so were two of the judges on the 11th Circuit, which covers Florida, Alabama, and Georgia. One was Bush, 43, and two were Trump. And it was a lacerating commentary by them where they're like, uh, basically, this is nonsense and it's just getting in the way of the law and we cannot create a rule here because of course a ruling from them could become precedent case law that could be referred to. Whereas if anybody goes around getting a stay in that way that you could interfere with a prosecution because there was a warrant that was granted, I believe in the district of DC, which is where they're prosecuting that crime. The special master thing was keeping that information from being able to go before a grand jury by any prosecutor and it's just interesting. We now have Jack Smith, the famed war crimes prosecutor who was assigned to Trump, and he was being denied the ability to use that information until today. Now he has it, and now it can go before a grand jury. Merry Christmas. So in fact, that is a huge deal. What you're saying is that now that he has this information available to him, there's no longer this delay, he can take this to the court directly. But it was also an attempt by Donald Trump to really try to get this to the Supreme Court. That was one of the reasons he was chasing this 11th Circuit appeal was to see if he could actually land up something with the Supreme Court because he believes he has that court in his pocket, as we'll find out a little later on that may be the case, although it's becoming increasingly unlikely that they could use that influence anymore. But we'll explain that a little bit later on. But it is interesting that this is now going to be in a different circuit. Point of order there. The uh, plaintiff applied for re relief in the Supreme Court, but that request was denied. Trump v. United States, that was uh, October 13th. Right. So 
he, his, his intention was to try and get it to the Supreme Court. It was, that was why he initially applied up to that appeal. I don't really understand that level of Supreme Court jurisprudence. So I'm not going to try to go through that with you, but I'll take your word for it. So let's talk a little bit about then the implications for Donald Trump, because we have He's had a terrible week legally, if you think about it. He's had that loss with the Oath Keepers. That's a win for everybody else in that there were found two people found guilty of those seditious conspiracy charges. It means that the noose is tightening around the inner circle of Donald Trump and potentially Donald Trump as well. So that's been a terrible thing for him this week. And now this is another big setback for his legal issues. And there are mounting legal issues on many levels. But this one really is probably, some people say, the more likely to be the thing that he gets indicted on because it's such a clear-cut case versus the January 6th case, which is a little, little more complicated. Yeah, I mean, this is open and shut. If you have documents that belong to the U.S. government, especially the ones that are classified, if you mishandle them, you're going to jail. That's kind of it. You know, this is the quick reaction one. And I think the evidence is mounting about the January 6th stuff, and we're going to learn more about it. But this is the open and shut for a lot of people in that organization, which is, I think the way it's been pitched in the media is that somehow Donald Trump himself was just had bushels full of documents that he loaded into his car or something. People can't imagine how logistics work of these documents where they belong to begin with who might have had access to them to put them anywhere much less florida people probably imagine that it's trump stuffed this in his underwear or something in reality it took a whole lot of people to get those documents to where they belonged to where they didn't belong at some goddamn golf course in florida <laughs> next to the lawnmower or wherever they put it and in reality it's not just him. It was probably a fairly large, <laughs> fairly large group of idiots that made this suicidal deal to take these documents. Now, the question is, why would you risk that much? These guys all, even if they lied on their SF-86 form, they did. Even if they did, they also signed off on like, yo, if you misplace this stuff, we're going to put you in prison. Even if the guy who had him sign it was chuckling, like, you'll be fine, you know. It wasn't going to be fine. Um, who benefited from this? And I'm just assuming this is either to repay a debt or somebody paid money or whatever. But who needed these documents? Because you just, you know. Well, there is indications from some people. Certainly there's a lot of, I'll leave it at rumor now. I think it's more substantiated than rumor that some of this, these documents were floating around on the international stage and being offered for sale. And if that's the case, that we have Donald Trump, former so president bad. of the United States, he's busy selling American classified secrets. It could compromise a lot of people, uh, maybe even cost their lives. That is or very Cash Patel or Jared Kushner yeah. or Ivanka or any of them. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone That's... even connected to this is just in a world of hurt. And let's not forget Mar-a-Lago, we now know, is a place where people like uh, Guo Wengi uh, used to spend uh, his time. He had a membership there. He's a, he's a Chinese spy of some sort. You've got these characters from the extreme white supremacist wing of the Trump GOP that go there for dinner. I mean, it's not exactly the kind of place you want to store your classified documents, especially the ones you've stored. But I mean, it's crazy that we have all these state secrets in a resort, basically, a publicly accessible resort. It's just insane. The other bad news that may be coming for Donald Trump is out of the January 6th committee in the House, because they are set to make referrals in criminal prosecutions based on their investigation. Now, these are just the initial recommendations. I think they've been made by Raskin's committee, and Raskin's committee will make it to the rest of the January 6th committee of who they think should be criminally referred for prosecution to the DOJ. They're indicating that it's much more than just Trump. 
that is going to be up for there. So, which makes sense considering all the evidence they had. But there was some criticism originally that Liz Cheney was focusing too much on Trump. Can't be that anyone focuses too much on Trump. But there are indications that these recommendations are going to come down to the committee tomorrow. And that'll be very interesting to watch because that's hard for the DOJ to really not move quickly after that. I mean, they're not active. Not officially. The DOJ operates with independence and there cannot be any communication outside of a criminal referral. But in that regard, a congressional committee might be considered more credible, but wouldn't be in any different position than a private citizen making a referral based on specific statutes. Like you can type these things up and hand them into different agencies if you think a crime has been committed. You know, the thing about Congress is they have subpoena power, they've had hearings and they're more credible. And you've got like whip smart prosecutors on that committee. So they're generally quite a bit more credible than your average, but officially it's independent. Officially, it doesn't matter. Practically though, the difference is none of this is reflective of the DOJ activity, which is why the propaganda attempts to make it sound like DOJ was lagging the Jan 6 committee when they don't coordinate. They're not allowed to coordinate. They have to be independent of each other or it's inherently political. Think about that. Even if it's bipartisan, if DOJ is following Jan 6, it's political and that's unacceptable. We want, we, you know, we want. Are there indications though, the that, they were, that they did in fact pick up the pace once they started seeing the congressional hearings that it, it was those hearings that helped push things along a little. It's not that the investigations hadn't no. begun, but that the no. new evidence was showing up at that, that committee. I think that's. You know, with the evidence being collected via warrant, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think people understand the volume that can come in that the, when the DOJ like goes to indict somebody, they're picking the absolute like path of least resistance to bringing this thing if it ever sees a courtroom, which is why 98% of criminal charges from DOJ are settled in a plea deal. Mm -hmm. They only go when they know they're gonna, you know, they're dunking the basketball on four foot hoop essentially. Yeah. And they collect an incredible volume so far beyond what a congressional committee. I mean, those guys, some of those people have, I think all of them have some degree of clearance to be on that committee, but it's not comparable. I think there may have been a correlation, but not causation. They have correlated with as Merrick Garland's operation, which, and remember, there were a lot of dirt in a lot of these U.S. attorney's offices from the bar period. So imagine trying to prosecute when some of your offices you're prosecuting out of are crime scenes themselves. That's mm. not easy. No. And I think the January 6th committee, even if, I don't believe that it pushed, and I believe if I believe it shouldn't have pushed anything that Garland's DOJ was up to. However, for the American people and for the world's perception, the fact that they have the freedom to not necessarily be indicative of what's happening in Garland's grand juries, the FBI, any of the offices of Inspector General, that's a great thing. That's not a bad thing. It's like they can collect their own stuff because a lot of this, I mean, dude, we do a show that's, we're not sitting on classified intel, right? We're, we're, you know, we're looking and going, wait, they were all at the, what hotel? The Willard Hotel? Well, that's like right across the street from those assholes. That's what this show is. Yep. Congress had a little bit more. They could request stuff that would be in their committee. A little bit more. A little, a touch more. <laughs> um, I mean, my point was, it's really obvious. <laughs> I mean, look, they, look, you had these guys go, we're not going to accept the election. It's rigged. And the election happened. They said, we don't accept it. And they said, we're going to attack the Capitol. And then they did. I mean, but it was this more obvious is not to the us. JFK assassination. <laughs> no. Like, there's a magic bullet. Were the Cubans there? This is, they said, we're not accepting the election. Fuck you, Donald Trump stays president. And we're going to have a bunch of meatheads attack the Capitol. And that happened in order this is not the grassy knoll.
But I think in the, in the minds of many people, and probably some investigators in the DOJ, this was a groundswell that originated from the ground up. And people showed up and took the matters into their own hand. I don't think it was until we saw Liz Cheney first appearance on that committee special that they did in prime time that we really began to understand the complexity of Donald Trump's. And this was that Cassidy Hutchison's testimony that I think really solidified it for people that, that there was so much going on inside the West Wing to coordinate this that it was an operation that came down from the very, very top. And I think that some of that information was new, I'm sure, to the people at the DOJ, because they weren't looking at the case from that way. They were looking at it from the ground up, where they were trying to get people who were the foot soldiers and did so very successfully. At some point, you had to look at it from a political perspective, and the committee was much more able to look at it from a committee perspective, simply because they're in that zone. They know the people involved. Hi there, it's Zev from Narrative. Have you ever had a great business idea but just didn't know where to start? Well, one of the first steps to building a new business is a domain name by Hover. That's because it's more important than ever to have an online presence and your domain name by Hover is your first step in building your online brand. For a limited time at hover.com forward slash reach, you get 10% off. Hover makes it quick and easy to find the perfect domain name for your business with over 400 available extensions. And with their connect feature, you can easily connect your Hover domain name to many popular website builders with just a few clicks. Plus, Hover offers free who is privacy, that's free who is privacy, that protects your personal information from being released online. Don't let the complicated search, sign-up and connection process of other domain providers stop you from starting your online brand today. Hover makes it easy to get started, so what are you waiting for? Find your perfect domain name at hover.com forward slash reach. Plus, Narrative Live viewers get 10% off right now. If you use the promo code REACH, that's R-E-A-C-H, or go to hover, H-O-V-E-R dot com forward slash reach, R-E-A-C-H. Well, I'm trying to think of who the woman who was a former judge advocate for the Marines who went over to OANN there and like coordinated uh, the, Christina Bob. the, yeah, it's her, that's yeah. her, you know, when you go, oh, wait, there's a chick who works for a network that's connected to the Russians that was lining up the denial of the vote at the state level with these morons in the White House and the Willard Hotel in Congress. I mean, realistically, Zev, you and I could probably prosecute a couple of these cases with like the transcripts of these shows, assuming that they're accurate. I mean, like, but but, you know, I know what you're saying. So who do you think they're going to recommend for prosecution? It's a good question. I haven't considered it all. If I had to guess, they're going to recommend Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy for charges of contempt. Um, for disobeying them, for refusing to cooperate. Probably some people that you'd think of, you know, uh, surprise us with a big one like Rudy Giuliani did some bad stuff, you know, if I had to guess. But what I'm looking forward to is more Christina Bobs, because that wasn't a name I was on top of. And when, when her name came up and I went and looked at her resume, I'm like, okay, wait, what, what, what? Oh, she served in Afghanistan on intelligence matters in the judge advocate? and then it all made it's like that was a new name it had some foreign connections it had some mike flynn stuff it was a mess it's like that's the stuff i want you know i want the freakos that i haven't heard of yet that were part of this like i want to know who was coordinating jeffrey clark over at doj Mm -hmm. i want to know who coordinated with the pentagon (laughs) to unzip america's pants that day 
That's who I want. That's actually a very, very good one. Yeah, absolutely. People, depending on the people in the Secret Service, I'm curious about which Secret Service oh, agent right, to keep right. to themselves and, and why. And, you know. I would love, I mean, that is the, yes, that yeah. stuff there. That's yeah. what I want. Um, and that, I got to think that it's so sensitive. This is the difference between DOJ and the J6 committee is like that stuff is so secret. That's going to be in an office of inspector general somewhere. And they're probably just going to go to the DOJ straight. So I don't think we're going to learn about the secret service guys until the indictments fall on their heads. Cause it's yeah, so yeah, bad. That really is bad. You know, it's not going to be there. And I still wonder why is the Moonies. They have been absent from everyone's investigation into, <laughs> into, into we all have our personal favorites on the bingo card, but that we want to see show up here. I know the, the Moonies had a thing here and I'm guessing the reason bring me Scientologists. I know I'm, they were fucking around. <laughs> I'm guessing that has to do with counterintelligence is that's why we're not going to see the Moonies involved in there, but they should be there, but they're not it's probably likely to be. In There's a rogue North Korean somewhere in the wood. <laughs> we need him. Yeah. We need him for the plot twist. But I do expect Roger Stone will be up there. <laughs> <laughs> I do this expect is like Michael the penultimate. <laughs> this is the penultimate episode in the season. And it's like the second one before the last <laughs> one. I think it's like, it's going to be like, whoa, the twist before the other twist yeah. before the final. We need the North Korean. The Red Wedding. <laughs> Um, but I think Roger Stone, Michael Flynn, they're the kind of people that I hope to see being up for, for criminal referral. And I do think that they should put Donald Trump up for criminal referral, especially because he hasn't shown up to testify as he said he would, but also because he should just be there because all roads it, indicate all it roads seems take us pretty in. logical. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, and I've been of a mind where everyone focuses just on him and not how this all happened, but through the, the lens of the J6 committee, who they keep coming back to is the guy who was president of the United States. And a lot of this is about future deterrence and setting standards. And we don't want this behavior ever again from anyone. So of all the criminal referrals, I think for them, for J6 committee to say, hey, this is going to shock you, but we think there's some tr criminal charges that should. Donald Trump was very clearly the head of this seditious conspiracy. If there was anybody above him in it, it was maybe Xi Jinping, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, people are not going to show up for their hearings, but yes, it, it might go that far. Yes, they're... In terms of Americans, Donald Trump is probably right up there who could be held responsible for this. Although there are others, maybe this is a good time to segue into the other big story, which is this ongoing corruption at the Supreme Court. So this is endlessly a drip drop of information on a weekly basis now about things that are going on at the Supreme Court, which make no sense. But not only do they make no sense, there is actually no way to prosecute anything that happens or to investigate anything that happens in the Supreme Court. It's just a no-rule place. Everyone's self-regulating. Everyone gets to decide what they are allowed to do. And this latest, and this is a very cheeky slide, of course. It's not intended to, to indicate that all these people are doing terrible things, although most of them were. Yeah, That's the, pretty fair. <laughs> pretty everything fair. I'm looking at it looks pretty, pretty legit. Yeah, but a few of these justices probably shouldn't be there because they were nominated to the court by a president that shouldn't have been president, that's for sure. But then you've got people like Thomas who clearly were involved in the January the 6th coup. I don't even think it's a question about his wife anymore. I think it's him who was involved in organizing things for the January the 6th coup and certainly in covering up the documentation that was trying to be entered into the committee's investigation. That certainly was something he was involved in. But knowing what we know about what his wife was doing, that how could he not know? what she was doing. And if he was aware of what she was doing, he would have been involved in it because it fits his political MO. It fits his who he is. This is his mission in life. So the fact that Thomas can still be on the Supreme Court is stunning. 
But then there's the Justice Alito scandal, which is just brewing for a few days now, and people have not picked this up, but I think it's absolutely scandalous. You've got basically a Supreme Court justice who leaked the judgment in a major, major case. We're talking about the Hobby Lobby case, which is going to restrict the rights of people who worked at Hobby Lobby or any other religious place, I guess is the way they were thinking about it, from gaining access to reproductive health resources through Obamacare. So this was that one big case in 2014 that everyone was looking at about whether there was a way for the conservative right-wing movement to limit Obamacare. And eventually Alito wrote the winning decision there that Hobby Lobby were allowed to not provide the, that reproductive care to their employees. Now, the thing that happened with the leaking is that he was part of this giant scheme. It's this multi-year, maybe two-decade-long scheme, multi-million dollar scheme to wine and dine and influence all these justices, particularly three of them, in a bribery scheme. Sheldon Whitehouse today, this was the 19th such speech, and he has come out really strong against Leonard Leo, against the Federal Society, and he just dropped the elbow on everybody. Like, he just came out and said, these guys have been bribed. They and their spouses have gotten meals, trips, perks, and in exchange for that, the people that did the bribing, who got, I, I didn't realize that they had a little clubhouse across the street from the they owned Supreme a building. Court where- They owned a building. For Christ's sake. Not a clubhouse, an entire building that they've operated, you know, yeah. and it's ribbon around all this, everyone understands. Alito that, you know, had dinner with two of these right-wing extremist funders that were part of this giant scheme and told them beforehand what his decision was gonna be for the Hobby Lobby case. So they were able to prepare the entire sort of extremist right-wing anti-reproduction part of the right of the GOP, were able to prepare a PR strategy. They knew exactly what to look for that day. They knew exactly how it was gonna play out. Mm -hmm. They were able to see it. That is not, <laughs> that's not how things it's should be done. It's almost like that's against the ethics for a reason. And no judge is allowed to do that. Oh, that is whoa. grounds for censure for every judge. Other Except than these the guys. The and that's what Sheldon Whitehouse's point was. Yeah, exactly. Let's take a listen. I've got two clips here from, from Sheldon Whitehouse from The Scheme, uh, episode 19, as it turns out. The court lawyer says that Justice and Mrs. Alito did not receive any reportable gifts from the rights. How does the court's lawyer know that? Did he ask <laughs> Justice Alito? Do they have a record of that conversation? Did he talk to the rights? That's a good... We don't know the answer to anything of these questions because there is no process in place at the court for conducting these kinds of investigations. No process, no independence, no inquiry. Let's assume that the substance of the court's first letter is true. Yes, the court has an ethics code. But even if the court has an ethics code, an ethics code without any provision for a complaint to be delivered, without any provision for inquiry, without any process for enforcement, without any independence, and without any ultimate determination ever being arrived at and reported? That's not an ethics code, that's a wall decoration. Congress understood this point more than 40 years ago when it passed a law mandating a process for federal courts to receive and investigate misconduct complaints against federal judges. That law just doesn't apply to the Supreme Court. So where are we? The court does not even have a clear place for people to submit ethics complaints. 
it's a very valid point he's making there. The reason we even know what we know today about what happened in the last few months, years, in this case, with Alito's leaking of this decision was because it came up in the newspapers. And then Mr. Whitehouse himself has been a very, very effective questioner of the Supreme Court on these things. But otherwise, if it weren't for him and a few other very active senators and the media, this stuff would be swept under the carpet and we'd never know about it because there's no way for you or me or anyone else to complain about stuff that's going on in the Supreme well, Court. That was his point. There's no yeah. process here that processes the bones of justice. And uh, he actually went to a Gary Larson cartoon of a boneless chicken yes. farm where it's all these chickens laying over. This is from the era of chicken McNuggets being a new thing. But yeah, bone, he's like, they're the boneless, it's the boneless chicken ranch of, yeah, you know, of justice, pride, pretty funny. You... you know, one of the reasons he's a stickler for this, I don't know if you know his background, Sheldon Whitehouse, but he's from the state of Rhode Island, of course. He's senator there. But before that, he was attorney general of Rhode Island and he was U.S. attorney for five years in Rhode Island. So he was a prosecutor in the great state of Rhode Island. And I don't know if you know much of Rhode Island's particular culture, but let's put it this way. In North Providence, you can get some really good Italian food. Do you yes. know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. I actually am very aware. Really great. Very aware of that, uh, of that part There's of the like world. only three places on the East Coast that I would go to an Italian restaurant because I cook at home otherwise. New York, North Boston, and North Providence. So it ain't the first time that Sheldon Whitehouse has seen systemic corruption or the influence of the mob over people. I once so, worked at a TV station and there was a new uh, station manager that came in from, from Rhode Island. Italian guy, very nice guy, well, sharply dressed guy. Didn't F around with him, that's for sure, because he meant business. Let's listen to another part of, of Sheldon Whitehouse's here because he points the, pitch, the, the finger directly here at the Chief Justice himself. The day after the Alito Dobbs opinion leaked, Chief Justice Roberts directed the Marshal of the Court to investigate calling the leak a singular and egregious breach of trust that is an affront to the court and the community of public servants who work here, end quote. Is a 20-year, $30 million private lobbying operation involving a base of operations, expensive dinners, trips to private retreats, cozying up to court employees, and potentially another Alito opinion leak? Not worthy of the same response? Well, Justice Alito denies leaking the results of the 2014 case and says he never detected any effort to obtain confidential information or to influence anything he did. So let's shift from the problems with this cozy, multi-decade, multi-million dollar influence scheme to the problems with the court's inquiry into it. The first problem is no inquiry. What he's saying there is Chief Justice Roberts did react to the first leak about the Dobbs ruling around Roe versus Wade. He did have an inquiry about that, but he didn't have an inquiry about this one. And this seems like a much bigger scandal involving decades and potentially the bribing of three Supreme Court justices, Thomas, Alito, and Scalia, were all accused basically in the reporting around this of being bribed with these fancy dinners, fancy events, trips to to wherever, hunting lodges or whatever it was, what were they doing at those events and what were they doing at those lodges if they weren't being influenced by the people who were trying to influence them? Clearly, that's 
bribery. It's just, there's no other way to look at that kind of thing. And maybe people are just so tired that they can't bear any more corruption news. But the Supreme Court does seem to be like a law unto itself, if maybe even no law unto itself. There's just like a lawless environment, which is bizarre for the Supreme Court of the United States. That makes sense, though. I mean, Amy Coney Barrett has no business being there, right? Yeah. She's, as you say, Leonard Leo groomed. Gorsuch should have been Merrick Garland's seat, but we've got him otherwise employed. <laughs> He's busy. <laughs> we found something to do with his talent. Weird. Kavanaugh, you know, same thing. Um, I mean, really, no reason to be. Just Judge, yeah, Devil's Triangle, McBoofbeer had some issues there. I, actually, that he dropped some new knowledge. I didn't know. There were 85 different, like, substantive complaints against Kavanaugh for his conduct on the bench. That's right. That he did came out. Today. Yeah. I was like, and he's like, yeah, and that never got visited. And that's a very good point. And very like, good point. This was when he was a federal judge, 85 complaints, and they were just all dropped because he got promoted into this bigger job, the Supreme Court. None of those complaints mm -hmm. get land up being investigated. We didn't look out at who paid his, his debts. We didn't look at how we got a home equity line of credit and didn't do the construction. We didn't look at 85. Uh, it's about him. And then we found out 4,500 tips to the FBI were routed straight to the White House around the DOJ for not one need. We're seeing people get in trouble for this, the Trump era that you haven't heard of. Whoever was involved routing FBI tips to a political institution instead of to the FBI, they need to be buried under the prison. It was Chris Ray. That's the thing. It goes right up to Chris Ray. I think he acknowledged that when he spoke to when he testified in front of White House's committee. Look, it's different times, but I've had him resign. He probably should have resigned. But who knows? You know, there's so much going on there that it's hard to tell. He seems to have the confidence of Merrick Garland and, and President Biden. And let's see if that is well warranted. I hope people start paying more attention to this story about a leader. I think it's the most stunning egregious misuse of power that we've seen in a long time from someone who is not an elected official, someone who's got a, a position for life. All federal judges have positions for life. But these guys have no higher power that can be appealed to. And one of the things that the White House was talking about was changing that. We can change the constitution. We can change the law and we can do it in a way that does not interfere with the independence of the judiciary at the SCOTUS level. And if there's anything that you learn by, if you're like a regular court watcher and you start trying to read Supreme Court opinions that are based on precedent, on precedent, on precedent, on principle, on precedent, on more principle, on English common law, on Sumerian law or whatever, is that <laughs> you don't really understand exactly what they're doing. It's very usually very, it, I mean, this, the Hobby Lobby stuff, if your magic sky friend says you don't need to do something, then you can ignore American law. Hobby Lobby was a little simpler and worse. Yeah. But most of the stuff at the Supreme Court is more subtle than that and actually based on jurisprudence. And we don't want to interfere with that. And we wouldn't know what to do in most of the cases if we did want to interfere with it. It's, you know, your wife can't be taking 700 grand from the Heritage Foundation no. while you're doing this gig. That's pretty easy. And if we find out that your bank account's getting filled by someone we don't know about, then that needs inquiry. That has nothing mm -hmm. to do with your decision. In this case or that case, or whether you gave a writ of cert to this case or that case, hands off. That part of the independence of the Supreme Court, that needs to be sacrosanct. But taking bribes ain't sacrosanct. And I doubt the founding fathers, if they were in front of us, if we got to ask the guys behind the Federalist Papers, hey, when you thought of the Supreme Court, do you think that we couldn't look into them being bribed? They'd be like, are you kidding? We wrote 
all half of the laws here so people aren't bribed by foreign princes, Casimirs, sultans. It's a gravy train. You know, it's like the Saudis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reminder, by the way, it's interesting to remember that Hobby Lobby, if you recall the name of this company, this craft company in Texas, Ugh. is known for also stealing antiquities from Iraq during the Iraq yes. war and like illegally. They're all-purpose scumbags. Yeah. And they put some of that in their own uh, museum of the Bible in DC because they have a nonprofit called the Museum of the Bible, if I'm not mistaken. And some of these antiquities are there. But it's not a company that doesn't have an agenda. It clearly has a biblical agenda, but it also has been involved in criminal activity by stealing antiquities from the good people of Iraq and exporting them illegally sure. during the war. You would think that would be enough to say to someone, hey, maybe I don't want to go and hang out with the Hobby Lobby people. But no, apparently he was okay with, with hanging out with the Hobby Lobby people and telling them what he was going to do. And I think they even attended and sat in one of his seats. The justices have some seats reserved for them at the Supreme Court. I think the, the Hobby Lobby couple went and had a couple of those seats. This is the kind of stuff that is, makes people shake their head about justice and about there being a two layers of justice in the United States. So hopefully this gets into people's radar a little bit more. Every minute of Narratives reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. One day you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative. Where truth lives.